Shooting out sparks over 38 states, the Canadian plains, and the tequila fields of Mexico. A program most deserving of a grand introduction. The Nocturnal Journal. The talk of the town. WGN Radio 720. With your guide, Dave Hoekstra. Daytime turns me off and I don't need maybe. Nine to five ain't taking me where I'm bound. Welcome to Nocturnal Journal. And what a show we have for you tonight in the... From 10 to 11, we've got uh, John Langford and Sally Timms uh, from the Mekons going to play some music and talk about their latest record. Uh, 9.30 to 10, we're going to have our friends from Fitzgerald's in Berwyn, Bill and Kate and Donnie Biggins. are going to handicap uh, this year's American Music Festival over the 4th of July weekend. And in the studio, our leadoff men, we have uh, our good friend Stan Klein. The, what do we say, the director? Yes, director work of uh, Firecat Projects, twenty one twenty four North Damon Avenue, and you brought in movie producer and now artist Bill Horberg. Hey, Dave, thanks for having thanks. me. Oh, on you the got show. a great radio voice. That's ah. good. That's good. <laughs> so, boy, there's so much to talk about in, in this in this half hour. But uh, talk about your roots in Chicago, Bill. I'm, I'm going to start with the the Sandberg Theater and your family. Uh, I know Marguerite, your sister. Talk about what it was like growing up. There must have been a lot of creative stuff going around. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. My sister really led the way. You know, she's founded the the Hot House here and ran that organization for 25 years. And, uh, you know, I got into playing music uh, as a teenager in high school here. What high school uh, was had that? a band. I went to the Latin school. Okay. Uh, and I actually went on to study music at the Berklee College of Music in Boston. Uh, What'd you I, play? What? I play the flute and the piano. Oh, really? really? Uh, little Herbie Mann type stuff. Yeah, <laughs> Eric Dolphy was my god, yeah. and Herbie Mann, and uh-huh. uh, you know, I used to go to the jazz showcase uh, growing up here, and Joe Siegel and all the great people that he brought in. Uh, but I uh, left school uh, in the late seventies, uh, moved back home to Chicago. Uh, and because I'd been living in Boston where there was such a rich scene of uh, different theater venues that were showing classic movies and foreign films, and I was living with a guy who was running the film society at Tufts, and there wasn't anything quite like that at that time here. Uh, and I had this idea to open a movie theater. Uh, the Sandberg Theater had uh, been shuttered. Uh, it had been the Playboy Theater. It actually you talk about that. I was you brought. We're going to talk about the comic book, and you brought back memories. I was at the Sandberg. I don't. I don't think I was there when it was the Playboy. But what was Playboy trying to do with that that house? You know, they went into film production yeah. in the seventies. They made a couple of movies, uh, Polanski's Macbeth, and you know they had a successful brand with the clubs, and they decided to try to extend that brand into motion picture exhibition. Uh, the theater still had the bunny logo carpeting <laughs> on the floor when we took it over. Uh, but we were, uh, you know, a horse of a different color. We were young film uh, uh, enthusiasts, and we were showing Hitchcock and Truffaut and uh, Werner Herzog. And uh, Arthur Penn came and, you know, did uh, live programs at the theater. So uh, that was kind of my... Uh, road into Hollywood, really. I didn't go to film school. I didn't study film, but I, I just jumped into ex- exhibition at a young age. Uh, and when the theater closed, uh, I ultimately set sail and, and moved out to Los Angeles in the mid-80s. 
Uh, before we leave the theater, it was in the Gold Coast. Do you remember the address? It was Clark it Street. It was twelve ten Dearborn. Dearborn. Okay. Dearborn. Yeah, yeah, I think it's still a Walgreens. Yeah, it's still a Walgreens. And just a little bit of ironic history, Dave. Uh, you know, we had uh, probably for a couple of years shown some of the great Cary Grant movies, uh, Charade, Only Angels Have Wings, and I remember when it was torn down and rebuilt. Cary Grant himself was a friend of Betty Walgreen, and he came and dedicated the opening of that Walgreens on the ashes of uh, our re- revival movie theater. Well, that's great. But, you well, know, Bill did really specialty things. He did like a 24-hour jazz festival, movies, and live act, because it had a small stage, uh-huh. and we would, he would do all sorts of long programs. Like what was that neighborhood like? When well, did it close? At that time, it was like looking for Mr. Goodbar yeah, right. land, right? It was yeah. Mothers and Rush Street, and it was like a raging disco scene. And then, you know, you could walk across the street and watch the Philadelphia story. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. The theater was taken over after we left, uh, but it only lasted about another year. Uh, I think it was probably 80 three or four where it was torn down and, and redeveloped. So you go out west. You go to Hollywood? Go west, young man. Yeah, and what happens there? Yeah, I got off the plane. I, I thought I had a job. Somebody had promised me a job, and a, like a lot of things in Hollywood, it was more facade than real. Uh, and I ended up going to work as a freelance script reader. So that was kind of my undergrad. I, I had to read a thousand scripts. I got paid 35 bucks a script. I had to do my book report, synopsize the story, and write some analysis on it. And I worked for a number of companies at that time, like the RKOs and the De Laurentiis and Interscope. And I couldn't get a job at a big studio because that was all union work. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this was freelance work, and it really got me a chance to kind of know who's who in the zoo get my head around you know what people are reading and what they're looking for and what's getting made uh and from there i i really stumbled into a lucky chance and i got a job as a junior executive at paramount pictures uh this was in 1987 uh it was the era of eddie murphy of john hughes of simpson bruckheimer uh the first time I ever actually sat in a theater and watched what they have these audience test screenings was the very first screening of Fatal Attraction, (laughs) which famously had a kind of beautifully made but narratively flawed ending that the audience just totally rejected. So I had a front row seat at like high... The high stakes studio filmmaking drama. Uh, you know, I was at the studio for about five years, Dave. I got to work with Francis Ford Coppola, with Mike Nichols, with the Zucker brothers, uh, Hunt for Red October, Ghost. Yeah. Uh, that was really a tremendous uh, grad school for me. Okay, we're going to take a break. Then we're going to segue into what you're doing now. Yeah. I've got so many questions. So uh, don't go away. Hey, Daddy, what that there? And why that under there? And oh, Daddy, oh, hey, Daddy, hey, look it over there. Hey, what they doing there? And where they going there? And Daddy, can I have that big elephant over there? Hey, who that in my chair? And what she doing there? And oh, Daddy, oh, hey, Daddy, can I go over there? Oscar Brown Jr. Wow. 
We love Oscar Brown Jr. He was. Did you know? Uh, did you ever meet him? I never got to meet yeah, him. Man, yeah. I wish I did. The voice that of uh, just... voice of Bronzeville, you know. Yeah. So I don't want to get in the way. So you, I'm going to fast forward to get why we're doing this. So you, uh, you have a heart attack. <laughs> Jump right in. Jump there, right dude. in. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So what yeah. happened? I Real produced quick. films for about thirty years. Yeah. It's a bit of a stressful job, as yeah. you can imagine. I I always wanted an outlet, and I played music and continued to play my music, uh, kind of in the park on the weekends. Uh, and about four years ago, I was over in Spain. I was producing. Uh, uh, probably one of the largest projects I've ever undertaken. It was called The Promise. It was this big epic film about the Armenian genocide, Christian Bale, Oscar Isaac. And yeah, yeah there was a knock on the door. And it was the, <laughs> uh, you know, ambulance. And uh, I did. I, I ended up in the hospital in Madrid for about a month. I uh, had a lot of time on my hand. I had a moleskin notebook and a pencil. And I just started sketching. And I was like, who do I want to bring into this room with me at this point in time and it was just all these uh, musicians that I'd grown up uh, studying and listening to and loving and uh, I started doing sketches of them and uh, filled up a notebook and got another one and filled that one up and came home and uh, I just kind of took over and became a bit of an obsession with me. Art and, Pepper, uh, um, you got the Velvet Lounge. Is that that's Fred? Fred yeah, Anderson, Fred Anderson, a great old poster. Friend. I got yeah. to spend a lot of time at his place on uh, Indiana, South Indiana, when I was here. I believe Oscar's in here. That's why we Oscar's on yeah. the cover. Yeah. Oh yeah, there, there he is. He yeah, is. yeah, he's <laughs> on the cover of the catalog. Yeah. Uh -huh. um, yeah, Eric Dolphy and uh, Roland Kirk and Alice Coltrane. Uh, that's, oh, that's Alice nice. Alice Coltrane yeah. and uh, Ornette Coleman and all these people I got to, many of whom I got to see uh, live yeah. and hear play. And um, so uh, my old friend Stan Klein invited me to uh, bring this collection of drawings to the Firecat Projects, and it was a, a chance for a homecoming for me and uh, it was a great night last night we had a packed house at the opening and uh you know you're in the room and i like to ask people to just listen to the drawings because uh -huh. you know you can watch them and you can really i hope kind of hear the vibrations coming off the the wall i want to talk about tomorrow in a minute but firecat projects is at 2124 north damon avenue the show is up through august 25th 2019 stan Talk about and it's in the in the in the in the catalog. But talk about uh, his work. Describe his work from your point of view. He brings that sensibility of somebody that plays jazz to yeah. the work. There's a certain taste level of what to include and what not to include. That it doesn't do too much, and it really brings the simplicity and the emotion of that person who's the subject to fair. Now, what will happen tomorrow? You're going to be doing a reading from 2 to 4 o'clock. Tell the listeners uh, what happens tomorrow. At yeah, Firecat. tomorrow afternoon I'll be over at the gallery. Uh, I have written a book along with my films and my artwork. Uh, it's a book of stories, uh, mostly of uh, different uh, films and you know the characters I've met along the way producing all these films in Hollywood. Uh, and I'm going to give a reading uh, of a couple of stories from the book. The book is called My Life in Space, Stories of a Hollywood Outlier. <laughs> and uh, so you'll be reading from that. 
Yeah, yeah. I'm going to pick a couple of stories to read and, you know, in the gallery, surrounded by the artwork. And uh, so hopefully it'll be a kind of trifecta of the things that I'm super passionate about, you know, which is film and art and music. Um, what is, are there similar similarities between... I don't, I don't want to call it visual jazz, but what are the similarities between music and jazz? I mean, movies and jazz. Well, I study music uh, in Woodstock now. I, I moved from Hollywood about four years ago, and the mantra for me is to kind of play from listening. Uh-huh. Uh, and I kind of try to bring that approach to the movies I make. You know, what is this really about, and what is the thing telling me, and what's the story that needs to be told, and how do we shape it? And I try to bring that same sensibility to a improvised solo, and it was certainly my approach, uh, you know, creating this artwork. I, I would do a deep dive uh, listening to the catalog of a certain artist and do a lot of research on their life. Did you listen to them while you were Yeah, while I was them? drawing yeah. them, I would kind of put the headphones on and uh, have a playlist and, and listen through and just try to, in my own way, uh, take whatever I uh, was feeling from that and express those feelings uh, through the end of a pen. Stan. Yeah, it's in some ways it's that being in the moment of listening and playing, and also for an artist, a visual artist, is seeing and observing, and then processing that out. And he has that talent. Did you see Shortcuts? The Robert Altman yeah. movie? Sure. Yeah, yeah. Sure. I, I wrote about that when it when it came out, and that was a movie that really had a jazz jazz feel to it. And I brought some of these notes in that. Um, you know, based on the Raymond Carver short stories, but Altman wrote, I think it was in the soundtrack, in the notes of the soundtrack, it was, uh, he's talking about maybe they just have to go on knowing things that they don't really want to know about one another. They're more about what you know rather than what you don't know. He's talking about the characters, and the reader fills in the gaps while recognizing the undercurrents. It's kind of like a jazz thing. Yeah, well, Altman was the master yeah. of kind of improvisation on film, you know, and he came out of Kansas City, right? Uh -huh, right. So he yeah. had a real jazz uh, background i think he even made a movie in the 50s yeah, yeah. that was uh, a jazz, a jazz themed movie. Yeah. movie yeah i got to meet him once you know I, I worked for about 12 years for Sidney pollock yeah uh and through Sidney, i got to meet some of his uh, filmmaking peers and uh, we hung out uh for a night in Cannes with uh, robert altman and that was a real treat and when you think of what Bill does, and he produced the uh, talented Mr. Ripley, and it yeah, has right. that jazz element very live in that plot line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Anthony Minghella, I was lucky to make two films with him, uh, Cold Mountain and Ripley, and in some ways they were musical films. They weren't musicals, but he was a guy who started with music when he wrote. He didn't apply music at the end as somebody scoring a film that's been edited. He had the composer in with him when he was writing oh, the script. Oh, that's interesting. And so his whole approach to filmmaking had the music really baked into it. And I think that's why we were so simpatico as producer and director collaborating with each other. You talked to other Hollywood people about jazz? Clint Eastwood? I never got to meet Clint. <laughs> I'd love to. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, there's a there's a bit of an overlap, but not that much. What will people see when they come to the guy? How many pieces are up? Uh, describe describe what what people see when they come visit you. There are several small sort of portraits about 
uh, say six by eight, really beautifully intricate, delicate portraits. And then he's also done large venue mm-hmm. images of like Mr. Kelly's and London, London House. House. Yeah, you know, and they're just it's his level of what he includes and the color. It just evokes. I wanted to do something real Chicago, right? So the new work in the show are these six pieces that I did kind of out of my love of growing up in Chicago. Yeah, this was the London house and this was uh, Mr. Kelly's and uh, the Velvet Lounge is in there. Uh, so I mean, look were, at the rush up and the happy medium. I mean, very, yeah. col- very colorful. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And the jazz showcase yeah. was downstairs there from the happy medium for several years. You know, that was one of their uh, venues here. Some people, I don't know, some people might say jazz is a noir, black and white. Why'd you go with so many colors? Well, those are color portraits, but there are some black and white in the show. Yeah, yeah. there's three groups of black and white portraits as well so i which i really enjoyed just kind of getting it down to the line and the simplicity of the line and that's all you have you don't have yeah a color palette to to add to that so uh what you'll see is uh a lot of individual portraits of jazz musicians that are grouped together in large groupings. So I have one called 50 Musicians. It's quite a large piece where there are 50 portraits of jazz musicians kind of framed together in one piece as a big family that you just kind of want to hang out with and and imagine the conversations that are going on between them mm-hmm. musically and also uh, without their instruments. Are you still involved? A couple more minute, uh, minutes, we got. Uh, are you still involved? in the industry very much so mm-hmm. yeah this has turned into one of my busiest years I, I was trying to just make art and play music but uh i'm uh just got back from winnipeg dave we're shooting a film there right now yeah. called flag day uh it's a project i've been laboring to get on the screen for more than a decade and sean penn, sean penn. is directing he's starring in it with his daughter dylan penn who's an amazing actress and is going to be a revelation for the audience and it's a father-daughter story a true story so to have a real father and daughter playing these father-daughter characters there's just a frisson that you know that comes with that that is really exciting um last thing um so the reason i asked that question is once you started sketching and once you got involved in this and the artwork did your view toward other things the industry and stuff did that change at all did this change your your the lens in which you look at things well, I think it just brought more balance and harmony to my life overall. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, I was so in the tunnel of filmmaking for about 30 years, and uh, I, I'm happily still uh, kind of plying that craft, but I have these other areas in which to have an outlet and express myself creatively. And, you know, uh, drawing is a very individual, personal, alone act. Making a movie involves hundreds, if not thousands, of people that you're orchestrating through a, a, a process that can take 18 months or two years. So I like the polarity of my life right now and having these other places to go. Fascinating. Wow, that was great. Thanks, great Dave. great interview. Thanks, Thanks Stan. Me. Thanks. Thank you, it's Portraits in Jazz by William Horberg, and it runs through August 25th at Firecat Projects, 2124 North Damon Avenue, and there's an artist uh, reading tomorrow between 2 and 4. Hope to see you there. Okay, yeah. thank you. Thanks thank a lot. And we'll be back after more Nocturnal Journal. Plastic silver nine-volt heart. Click 
The iguanas. That's all you need to know. They close out the festival on July 6th. In the studio, we have Bill and Kate Fitzgerald of Fitzgerald's, owners of the beloved Fitzgerald's Nightclub in Bruin, and talent buyer Donnie Biggins. Thank you all for coming down here tonight. Thank you. Hey, Dave. We're among friends and stuff. So uh, let's talk about, Let's again, we never know who's listening to the show, maybe for the first time out. Tell, tell people the roots of the festival, a little bit of the Festival 101, the history of the festival. This is number 38. 38th festival and I think our 39th celebration we've been you know Fitzgerald's opened in 1980 so we had our first uh, celebrated the the uh, the first time in 1981 but the first full-fledged festival was that following year after having gone to the Jazz and Heritage Festival and it just you know it made me pick up on a lot of ideas I've always had about small town festivals and Fourth of July and all that business. So we decided let's let's do a one day July Fourth deal, and we uh, yeah we had four bands. I think I remember it was the Famous Potatoes. Oh yeah, and the that. Chicago Salty Dogs, which had a, a history of playing in that building, and they're still still they're opening the festival they're, on July third. Yeah, yeah. there are there's that name still going. Some of the members are still at it, and and then uh we had the jazz members big band who was our our house big band at the the time and we rounded it out with our our big discovery of of uh from new orleans uh clifton chenier and the red hot louisiana band so it was uh it was a perfect start you know but one day and four acts and how's it changed over the years for everybody in terms of um i was thinking about this uh in terms of music styles in terms of audience um just how it's evolved over 38 years well, I mean, <laughs> going from four to, what are yeah. we up to, 60? Who's yeah, counting? Almost right? 60 plus. Almost like 70 plus bands. Yeah, 60 plus bands yeah. this year? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it sort of has that uh, kind of wacky, over-the-top over the fireworks show kind of deal. A um, little too much of everything. You know, like a garbage can full of fireworks and throw in the match and boom. You know, it's like pretty crazy. Well, it's changed and it hasn't changed because there's a lot more bands, but... It's still all on our property. We're all still there. We pretty much do everything the same way every year. There's no, we're not scanning any, you know, wristbands. We don't have a VIP tent. We're not sponsored by, you know, AT&T. So yeah. it's, it's the same, just more music. It's yeah, it's very homespun and yeah, very homespun. Yeah, yeah. yeah Tom, Tom Sims, Tom Sims still grills the Tom brats Sims. and the andouille sausage and 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 makes the, uh, you know, prepares a lot of the food like weeks in advance and then freezes. You know, like the cochon de lay, the monica. The, uh, you know, and he does the jambalaya and the gumbo. Uh, well, well, he does the gumbo ahead, but the jambalaya is cooked fresh and and uh, and that's a family affair. I mean, that's a that's a story in itself. And one of these days we'll have to make a little video of what that what he does to prepare for that but uh and i was thinking today like we use the same microphones <laughs> it's, a, it's a sure 58 is still the vocal mic after all these years so. it opens this year on wednesday july 3rd and it runs through uh july 6th um donnie i mean i go to the jazz fest a lot in new orleans and one thing i mean we talk about i, I probably started going down there in 85 86 and all those r&b guys i used to go see like Lee Dorsey and Earl King and stuff, you know, they've passed on. I think some of them maybe, I mean, if you encounter the same stuff uh, with this festival, in other words, how do you bring in new talent? What do you look for in, in bringing um, new people? Tell us some of the new new talent people sure. can expect. So some of the, the newer acts that, you know, I kind of wanted to highlight, um, 
a repeated new act is Sarah Shook and the Disarmers, who has been a really growing uh, alt-country punk, that punk-country vibe. Um, 8.30 on Wednesday, July 3rd. On July 3rd, In yes. the tent. In the tent. And uh, another another new name here is The Suffers, um, and they are a great R&B soul funk band, big band. I think there's eight or nine members they're going to be playing on the 5th. Uh, which is one of our shorter days, but I feel is just uh, a stacked, you know, from door time to the end of the night. Every stage is is really energetic and uh, and full of some big names for us. Um, and they're from Houston. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And then another newer name to a lot of people uh, that we kind of fell in love with last year was Blackfoot Gypsies, right. which are just kind of a, a modern rolling stones type of rock and roll energy um and they're closing out july 4th yeah at, at 11 15 um with these newer acts do they i mean the, the the legacy acts if you will like Marsha ball she's um she's july 6th at 8 30 of course they know about the club they're familiar with the club when you talk to newer acts do are they familiar with fitzgerald's have they been through here before um no not all the time it, it's just kind of part of my job to try to seek out uh this new talent that also fits the vibe of what fitzgerald's is and uh and we just have to encourage our audience to trust that we know what we're doing and that it's going to be good yeah yeah and how do you describe that vibe all for everybody for i mean everybody here at the the table yeah uh for me, growing up in Oak Park, you know, like it's nostalgic to walk into Fitzgerald still, and uh, just the fact that I work there, I still like get excited, you know, when I'm coming to see a band there because um, it's that special to me. But uh, how would you describe the the vibe? The though? thing I, that, that happens to me every year is that here it is. It's I mean, and this year, especially since I'm sort of semi-retired, and I mean, I was working <laughs> on the air conditioning all day today, and there's more to do. But uh, but to, you know, it's it's a list of names on paper, and and you know, a lot of these names you go, well, yeah, we know, we know Alejandro, we know yeah. Terrence Simeon, but you know, they, it's I mean, it's just amazing when it actually starts when you walk in the door. And then and things start rolling. It's it's an amazing thing how it develops. It's like a picture, and it's it's always a lot of fun. And and uh, you know, it's just seeing a lot of old friends, and and it's it's really the the, um, the continuous music factor. It's, it's it really pulls you along, and uh, I I love it. Can't wait. I I don't think there's any other place really like it, at least in the Midwest for us. You know, like there's nowhere else you can go and get this amount of talent for the cost you know so yeah and we get that kind of feedback from the artists too uh what are the what are the different cover charges do you know off the top of your head i've got cover charge fifty dollars each day yeah Yeah, it's just a straight 50 and then uh if you come in in the first hour uh you can get in for 40 and of course if you're smart enough by by a four-day pass it's like one free day it's 150 and uh people can share that pass you can give it to your friends if you're going one day oh. and they're going one day and and that's um, only it it says here uh 150 well, only at TicketWeb.com. yeah only online okay yeah, yeah. kate talk about the uh, sidebar and you you take care of that talk about some of the acts in there and describe what the, i know you've put a lot of sense of history in that room but but talk about what the sidebar is and how you've booked that well dave <laughs> 
<laughs> well, I know one um, of our friends is playing there. She's been one? on the show. Uh, Christine Melody? Yeah, Christine will be there. Um, she is someone, a lot of these folks, uh, I came to know through our Tuesday open mic, which I've been attending and most of them have been attending mm -hmm. every week for probably 25 years. So it's a little bit of a um, open mic all-stars. A lot of those people have a lot of talent. Um, and a lot of them have gone on to, to better things, but they come back to play the sidebar. And then there's a few, I always leave room for, for people to drop in at the last minute. And I'm pretty pumped that we're going to have um, the Joel Patterson uh, organ trio with oh. Chris Foreman on the B3. Well, that's the first night. Yeah, the very first yeah, night. And we have a real B3 and a Leslie, so that's going to be quite an experience yeah. in that little bar. Yep. Um, I love... Curtis McMurtry, he came one oh, uh, year. Yeah, he's great. Uh, yeah. yeah, of course, James's son, but he does his own thing. And the, the minute I saw him, I was like, y you're coming back every year. I wanted to buy James yeah. a drink, but he was kind of grumpy. He was sitting there. Oh, he's, <laughs> um, he's a teddy bear. He's a doll baby. Uh, Christine is what I have it. What is she? Three forty-five. Yeah. On uh, three forty-five p.m. We had her in the studio. She was great. Yeah. July she 6th. is great. She yeah. she uh, got up at, at open mic to sing, and then we were all just oh blown god, away. she's fantastic. She's one. Ro, remember her? Christine Melody. I do. Yeah. She was off the chain. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's great. It's just one of those things where everyone's <laughs> chatting and talking, and then she started, and all of a sudden it got real quiet. Yeah. 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 yeah she's really good. Uh, we got to take a break, and we're gonna come back and uh, talk more about the greatest American music festival in the world at Fitzgerald's in Berwyn on WGX. Donnie, that's great. Thank you. <laughs> Donnie Biggins, closer to you. Is that is that yours? That's that your band? Uh, the, yes, that is my band. Is yes. that the record I saw at Val's How? Yes, I released that in 2016. It's like it's great. It's like a little surf Mersey beat thing. Mm -hmm. So talk about your background in music, and you are playing with the. Sh I don't know anything about this. The Shortcuts. Yes, is that your we're band? Playing on July 4th. July 4th mm -hmm. at three o'clock. That's right. That's with uh, Ryan Joseph Anderson, who's. Uh, been a mainstay at you know at the fest and the club for about ten years. So, and what kind of music is that? Uh, it's just pretty straight rock and roll. Uh, you know, a singer songwriter with band type of rock and roll. It's a six piece band with the the B three. It's going to be up on stage. And um, do you play know. closer to you? <laughs> that I think that's going to be on. Is it really? It's yeah, so great. Yeah, yeah. So where I'm going that was, with that was my radio ready song. Yeah, that's well, why I sent that it's, one. It's perfect. It's great. <laughs> um, so being a how long have you played? I don't know this. I don't know this. Um, I've been, been playing music for, I guess, fourteen years. And what all do you play? What instruments? Guitar and piano and sing. Um, I'm mostly try to find uh, very good musicians to play with and then have them play my songs. So how does that background, this is obviously where I'm going, how does that background influence you as a talent booker when you're, li when you're listening to music and stuff? Um, I think it helps me usually make 
good decisions in in you know in the artist's favor and also in the club i'm kind of on both sides a lot i i understand the deals and uh what it takes to put on a, a good show and the efforts that you know need to happen from both sides uh from the promoter of the club or and the the artists themselves um and yeah it's that's kind of how i got into booking was from uh booking my my band the shams in the city and uh and with Bill at, at Fitzgerald, so and you're involved with. Wait, last time you were on the show, we talked a little bit about it. You're involved with other clubs. Yeah, I, I own a small room um, in Lincoln Park called Tonic Room, so we have live music there as well, um, and I handle all that that booking. And are you still doing Hey Nine? Uh, no, no. Yeah. Okay, all right. That was in Arlington Heights. Um, so yeah. So how many pieces are in the shortcuts? Uh, there are six of us. Yeah. So it's. Uh, Three guitars, uh, B3, bass, and drums. Capacity. What's the capacity of Fitzgerald? Legally. Well, we... The club? Yeah. Mm -hmm. 166. 166. Yeah. And uh, the sidebar? I think it's 53. It's 53? Mm -hmm. how, have, how have listening habits changed for people? I'm, I'm talking about, you know, and everybody talks about this, people talking, people being on their cell phones and stuff, and what, how do you handle that? The biggest problem for me personally is the cell phone situation where people are, you know, toward the front of the crowd holding up their phones. Um, I think that's probably, I don't think the listening habits have really changed that much. It's just, for some reason, people think it's more important to see the band through their screen than they're just looking. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't understand it. I, I don't know. It's not. Too, we, we occasionally have to remind people, you know, turn off your, your camera light. You don't need it, you know, and, and, and keep it low. Keep it in front of your face. But uh, ah, it's not too bad. Do artists ever have any rules, regulations? Or? Not, uh, not Once that in often, a while, an artist will call yeah. people out. They will. Yeah. yeah, just once in a while, just certain people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, let's pick out a couple other acts. Tributosaurus becomes Bruce Springsteen. Tell the listeners who don't know anything about Tributosaurus uh, who they are and what they'll be doing. And that is on the fourth at ten fifteen. Um, you want to know the members? I mean, it, it's a uh, you know Chris Neville uh, is kind of the the. F the man behind Tributosaurus for the most part, yeah. but they, uh, they pick, pick an artist, uh, and it's always a big band, usually like nine to 11 people. And, and they do a, a full tribute set and Bruce Springsteen's one of their best ones that they often do. And we felt like, you know, America kind of needs a Bruce Springsteen set at American music fest this year. And, oh, yeah, it's, and it's that's what show. we wanted, you know? Um, God, how so, long have they been at it now? They, they're, they've got to have an anniversary coming up, but yeah. they're, they just do a wonderful job. Yeah, yeah. yeah. How many pieces will be there? Do they have, uh, sometimes they have strings and stuff for spring. Yeah, I'm still waiting on that. Oh, Chris, okay. if you're listening, you okay. can send me uh, yeah, There's info. always a couple of special <laughs> guests outside the five-piece mm -hmm. core of the band, and then they'll probably have horn players and, of course, a saxophonist. Of course. Yeah. I think yeah. their yeah. thing is that they go the extra mile with the detail in in doing these bands if they're if somebody has a triangle they got a triangle you know nah. they they just they really cover every detail alejandro escovedo on uh, the last night the sixth ten thirty. that's a club favorite 
old friend of yeah. ours. Yeah, I haven't. I'm anxious to see what he's come, got going this year. It's been a been a few years since we've seen him, so he's always great. You know. So. We began the segment with the iguanas. I'm so glad you brought them. Mm-hmm. Talk about them being from New Orleans. Yeah, can't go wrong to finish up with them. Yeah, it'll be a lot of fun. Oh yeah, they are. They are New Orleans. They they really encapsulate that late night swampy sort of laid back you know vibe i've never gone to jazz fest one time when i did not run into one of them out in the crowd for listeners who don't know them i always kind of do a pedestrian description of it kind of like uh, maybe a like a los lobos filtered through that whole new orleans groove thing you mm-hmm. know they really they sure. really i just yeah. they're, they're fantastic zimmerman same night as them talk about the zimmerman zimmerman is a, a dylan uh, tribute with like kind of the the Roosevelt Road All Stars. Um, a lot of our club regulars, uh, you know, it's a big band. That Kathy Richardson plays with them. Um, yeah, Ryan, this year Ryan Anderson's going to be yeah. in with them. And Terrence Simeon's going to sit in with them too. He's going to okay. do a oh, is song. He? Yeah, and Pat Pat Brennan on keyboards. He's you know he's sort of the heart of the band. I think in some ways the major Dylan scholar. Yeah. yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, between songs, he'll tell you the minutia of. Yeah, Terry White, what, our friend. Yeah. Chris Nebel from Tributosaurus is part of this band. Mm-hmm. And they have the Zimmer Women uh, as a. They, they have a, a the chorus of you know, the three girls singing with Naomi, them. Naomi, Jenny, and. Um, yeah, you got And that. Jody Walker. And, and Jody let's Walker. not forget Clem Hayes and yeah, Grant Ty. Yeah. And you guys are from the uh, same neck of the woods. I like to ask this question: How has the neighborhood changed in 38 years? What was describe what Berwyn and Roosevelt Road was like when you started? Hmm. What was Bohemian. there? Bohemian. Yeah, it was. <laughs> it was Czech and Bohemian, and it was very uh, uh, working class. Um, still is. The faces have changed. Um, a lot more Hispanic families still working class. Uh, apparently, we're uh, and also have quite a gay enclave, which is of course fantastic. And uh, but it hasn't. Um, uh, we still have the same folks coming in. We might be doing um, a little bit more with Hispanic people when when we do Beatles tribute bands. For some reason, they're a big draw for the uh, Hispanic yeah. folks who live around us. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Wally Wilkes is gone, and uh, yeah. you know the the empty lots down the street, of course, have mini malls and and. Petting uh, I like to think that maybe I'm wrong, but I like to think that you gave birth to the whole entertainment scene there. There's a lot of entertainment options in terms of other clubs and in terms of uh, restaurants and stuff. There's yeah, a lot we're more choices in there. Were. Yeah. Um. Well, I don't know. If, I don't know. If Otramund really needed us to yeah. to open uh, that that place is so uh, you know that's just beyond. Yeah, but the little string of yeah Fitzgeralds and the friendly tap and wire is a nice thing. Yeah, you know? yeah. Nice little brewery on the Oak Park side. Uh, Kinslager, yeah, Kinslager, and mm-hmm. yeah. Well, we're going to have you uh, hang around for our next guests, uh, John Langford and Sally Timms. Oh, talk great. about the T-shirt this year. Langford did it. Right yeah. now, or when John gets No, talk, you can talk about that. We'll, we can bring it up again. There's, well, no, there's no organization to all this. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about artists this year, and I, I just, of course, love John's work. I mean, he's just, you know, it's perfect artistry and music and Langford mix. And so I called him, and, and I asked if he would be interested, and he, of course, John says yes to everything. That's why we love him. <laughs> That's why he's here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
And so I said, he said, well, what are you thinking of? And I said, well, I, I'll leave it to you. But I said, I want it to be a woman. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's always guys and God love you. But um, I, I think uh, we're finally uh, going to take our place, our rightful place. And uh, so I said, just, just anything. And I said, I have like, I have to have this in like two weeks, John. So he, he emailed me maybe seven hours later with just a beautiful design um, of a, a woman on a horse, very, yeah. you know, totally recognizable. And uh, he said, well, you know, what do you think about this? And I was just like, perfect, say no more. <laughs> Okie dokie. Well, hang around. Don't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. Bill and Kate Fitzgerald and Donnie Biggins, all from Fitzgerald's. The American Music Festival, Wednesday, July 3rd through Saturday, July 6th at Fitzgerald's. That's 6615 West Roosevelt Road in Berwyn. www.fitzgeraldsnightclub.com. Is that right? Right. Okay. Thanks, you guys. And we'll be back with John and uh, Sally after this on WGN. How many stars are out tonight? How many stars? How many stars? How many stars are out tonight? How many stars? How many stars? That's the Mekons. From their latest record, Deserted. In the studio, we have Mekon's Sally Timms. Hello. And John Langford. Okay, off your phone, Sally. <laughs> it's the words for and the we, <laughs> And we've kept uh, Bill and Kate and Donnie in the studio, so because uh, we'll, we'll segue into some Fitzgerald stuff and Waco Brothers stuff. But talk about, um, talk about well, let's start with that song. It's off the new record. and That's one of the few songs we actually had before we went to make the record. We'd really? sort of thought about that one a little bit, but we knew we wanted to go uh, and record in the desert in California, in Yucca Valley, near the uh, Joshua Tree National Park. And our new ba- our current bass player, most recent bass player, Dave Trumfio, has a sort of a, a share in a studio out there in the middle of, middle of nowhere. So we went there during a tour and just kind of hung out there and saw what popped out. And how long were you there, and what was that experience like? We were there for about five days, on and off, but we kept um, going off to play shows occasionally. So it was a, so it was the usual Mekon experience where it's too many things crammed into a very short period of time. But uh, it was really stunningly beautiful, and we would just record in the day. And if we had a show to play nearby, we'd just drive and do it, and then come back and keep recording. We did Puppy and Harriet's and then some San Diego and just, you know, short hops and then come and back. Drive back. <laughs> and all crammed into one house, uh, sleeping in, you know, squeezed together in whatever beds there were. Well, some people had that, those. Some people had those, those little trailers pods. that you can see on the front of their. Mm. Yeah. Did Tom you stay? was in one of those. Yeah. Did you stay in these? He's a little yeah. Like, yeah, a couple of people yeah. did. Yeah. I think Steve didn't like it. He came and slept in my room with me and Eric. But, <laughs> I think he was scared of the coyotes. <laughs> it was really beautiful. I mean, every morning I would wake up with the dawn and I'd walk outside and all you could see was the Joshua Tree Forest going up to the mountains and the sun coming up over the mountains and there would never be just me. Everyone else had woken up at the same time. Because you, you, you couldn't help but go out and look. It just got you up. We got up early and we stayed up really late. Yeah. The stars, I think I read in some background, those no, weren't necessarily California stars. Were they from Australia? I mean, when the, the stars in that song. Uh, partially, it was about that, yeah. I mean, I was in Australia, and I suddenly 
you know, out in the the outback with some Aboriginal friends, and you know, you really see the Milky Way there, and it's kind of overwhelming. But I've, I, the only other place I'd seen it like that was in Joshua Tree. It was yeah, yeah. It's very uh, suddenly you realise people were sitting around for thousands and thousands of years, and that was kind of like Netflix. You know, you'd be sitting there looking up at that. I mean, so it's so spectacular. Except better. Except better. <laughs> um. <laughs> I was looking at some stuff you did when you did natural. Uh, you recorded that in a cottage in the English. I remember we talked about that back at the old times. Yeah, we went uh, in very close to what well, was in the Lake District, so uh, you know where Wordsworth roamed around, and uh, we also did a, a record on the island of Jura when we went to um, Scotland and toured the Highlands and Islands. Because you know the whole thing about the Mekons at this point is it's got to be fun for us. If it's fun for us, then that's okay. And so why would we just carry on doing the standard, you know, going into a studio or playing a regular place all the time? It's It's got to be something new. Site-specific. We've got site-specific. Yeah, right. That's a, yeah. Holiday, vacationing and working at the same time. Well, we, yeah. just, we just saw this spot when we did Natural, and it was lovely, and we saw this pub that was fantastic, and then we thought, well, it's great around here. We, should, we were with the Sadies, actually, so we should come back here and do something. And then there was a big stone circle, and then this barn we could just set up in. And it, it was just amazing. And all the songs became about the, you know, the immediate landscape and think the history of that area so yeah that's right you know this little documentary we've been working on I, how long how long did it take to do the Mekons documentary about seven that was probably six or seven six years or seven years that's about where started. we're at yeah but we uh that's one thing we try to do is talk about how environment and air and all that influences music do you find that when you go to these different locations and, and, yeah, and, make, and make music how does the environment influence you guys I would say lyrically it does. I'm not sure if sonically it does. I maybe think it did sonically bit. on yeah. this. On this, maybe in a kind of like big potpourri of kind of like different influences and associations, but definitely the, the, some of the stuff on the Deserted album. There's moments in I can't remember playing it. I don't know how it came about, but there's a bit. There's a song after the rain, and there's a sequence at the very end of that on the at the end of the album, which just is, it's like a load of kind of squeaking noises and i can't tell who's playing what uh-huh but it's really for me it sounds very much of that place yeah it's very site like you said it's yeah. very site specific yeah it? odd odd give the listeners who are uh, maybe not familiar with the band a little history of the band when you guys formed in 77 <laughs> yeah yeah uh formed in 77 punk rock band we, we, we were uh, described as the people who took punk rock as the furthest extreme uh, actually forming a band with people no one who could play whatsoever and <laughs> we thought that was a positive advantage and then slowly over the years we you know had some adventures with major labels and real musicians joined the band and we weren't after a while we weren't afraid of them because we realized <laughs> that you know real musicians are good if they if they what they play is in service of the song or the collective experience rather than you know the virtuosity of the the music we were reacting against was the 70s the prog rock stuff i mean we couldn't get you know we couldn't have been in now one of those bands now you're back so we formed up now we formed now we've done a prog rock album so it's gone full circle <laughs> this is our this is our you know in the court of the mekong king album this one <laughs> and uh you really don't rehearse because you all live in that's cheating places. dave yeah <laughs> we do rehearse but we don't i mean i People pick when? Up on that. We do rehearse, but we can't rehearse because, 
you know, some of us live in the States and yeah. we don't even live in the same city in the States. And then some people live in London. Some people sometimes live in Russia. Some people live in Devon. So the only time we get together is when we're playing. So we have like a, a very, very short period of rehearsal which we're very used to now because which usually gets eaten away by yeah. flight delays or yeah. people not well we get by on. on charm you know we've that's that you if you mm. if you're under duress you have to be charming so. <laughs> i've run out <laughs> <laughs> but you have a, a slew of shows coming up uh, i'm going to try to get, get these straight 9 p.m july 12th at the hideout yep and then you're at the Square Roots Festival up there by Lincoln Square. Bloodshot mm-hmm. 25th anniversary Yeah, that's day. on the Saturday. Yeah. Is that and the 13th and 14th? Yeah. yeah. And the 14th, we're back at the hideout. Yeah, and then you're even doing a show up in Madison. Yeah. yeah. The High Noon Saloon. With the Weekons. Who are they? They're a, a Mekon the, the Mekon's band. tribute band called the Weekons, <laughs> who we bumped into in there. <laughs> Probably going to be better than we are. We thought it would be quite funny. They were quite embarrassed when we asked them to do it. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Yeah, why not? They're unrehearsing right now. (laughs) (laughs) we got to take a break and then maybe come back with a song. I don't know. You're going to sing a couple songs for us. Yeah, we're going to do do a song. We're going to be bold and do a song off the new album. Oh, good, good. All right, so don't go away on Nocturnal Journal on WGN. dry tongue teeth hook round eye hunkered down in this barren hole bristling exoskeleton antennae come back later come back you should see us after the rain Armor-plated seeds and spores Armor-plated desperation Horns and ammo slit and claw Bleached white across desert floor Come back in seven years Come back Come back again Come back later us after the rain Tracks in winter storms of spring When flood and mud roll in Sleep and wake to germinate Bursting out of the ground Come back in seven years come back come back again a moment a thousand years come back again come back later come back come back again you should see us after the Now there's some squeaking noises uh, that we can't render here, unfortunately. Little animals coming to Just life. imagine them. Bursting out of the ground. It's after the rain from Very Deserted. Cool. 
by the meat guys. Who has to sing the words bristling exoskeleton <laughs> antenna? Why don't you speak me. into the mic? <laughs> I am speaking into the microphone. I'm sure it's picking up. It is a microphone. <laughs> It's just AM radio, you can't just wander it's off around not, the room. It's not steel, I'm in the room. How did I don't know, I've interviewed guys a few times, but did you meet through how did you guys first meet? Punk rock. Was it? In Leeds, yeah. Was it Leeds? Not true actually. What? My cousin, Lizanne, was sharing a dorm with your girlfriend at the time. No, they were in a yeah, they weren't in, in a, a dorm. Halls of residence. They were in a hall of residence. Yeah. So dorm. Yeah. No, they were not in a dorm. They had single rooms. I well, it's remember. the same. Can- that is what a dorm is. Carnegie yeah. College of Education. Yeah. So anyway, that's Road. how I met John. And what were you? St- what were you doing? What were you studying? What were you doing? I was studying modern languages and business studies, but I wasn't at the university. I wasn't that smart. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm the you were at the idiot. poly with Mark Almond and Green from Scritti Politti yes. and Frank Tovey from Fad Gadget. <laughs> I was at the university with the Gang of Four and the Mekons. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you know, and how many people have gone in and out of the Mekons over last time? I was over twenty-five. There might be not really as many as you'd think, and yeah. the current lineup's been pretty stable since. It's, a, it's kind of eighty-five, the very beginning of eighty-five. It's Lou a kind and Steve of open John. house, so yeah. people come and do things and go away. But the core band and even the original core band are still knocking around in whatever form. So. I would say it's a, it's a pretty stable lineup. And how many pieces will be at these shows we're, t- we're talking about? All eight. All eight. <laughs> the ridiculous number of yes. eight. Yes. Divided by, everything's divided by eight. Doesn't make any sense. One of my favorite stories is when you, this is kind of off the track a little bit, when you booked the band into the mutiny. Do you remember that story? Yes, I do. Talk, talk about that. And okay. the, the mutiny closed about a year ago. I know, right? it's uh, just oh, closed re- so actually sad. more recently. Really? It's, it's a real Describe loss. the mutiny for people who, yeah. Well, the mutiny is a bar we used to drive by on Western, right by Fullerton, and they have a big sign that says, just bands wanted in the window. And we always thought, what is that place? And I knew that they put on kind of like punk rock shows or or various things but I'd never been in it before and we wanted to do we had this idea that we were going to do it at the end of the tour we were going to do a a show or a couple of shows that raised money for charity we did it for Doctors Without Borders so we We had got them three miles of borders yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) and so we did the hideout it was called From the Hideout to the Mutiny. So we played at the hideout, and then we caught the CTA bus with the audience to the to the mutiny. And it was, and some of the equipment. And the equipment, some of no, it. No, we did. We caught it to the corner of North Avenue and West. And, and then, then we, we had, had to, to change, change buses. buses. <laughs> and and was... Tim Tutton and Cynthia Plastercaster were the tour guides on the bus. So we played a show, got on the bus, caught the bus with as many. It was packed with people. And then some people who were just on the bus ended up coming to the show because they were like, well, what are you doing? But the, f- the best thing was when I called up to get the gig at the Mutiny and I, I called up and I said, OK, we want to play at your club. And, and this woman, I think it was, it was Rhonda, she went, yeah, OK, well, what kind of music? And I went, well, it's kind of country folk stuff. And she said, well, what's the name of the band? Mekons, completely nonplussed. She'd never heard of us. So I said, uh, you know, I said, she said, well, you've got to bring in at least 100 people and I was thinking yeah right and it's like the mutiny is packed with 100 people every night so I was like well yes we can do that and so you went alright you're booked and that was it she kind of like the completely dismissive it was great and uh, and then I was thinking well is it booked really you know and so about 
a month before I would call up and go, we're still on the calendar, right? She would go, yeah, you're booked. That's it. You know, that's all it took, nothing else. And then closer to the date when we started advertising, they clearly were getting like loads and loads of calls going, is this a joke? Are the Mekons really playing at the mutiny? And they were like, yeah. And so then when I called her, she was always like, what's going on? And so the whole place was just packed when we showed up. It was fantastic. It was really, really a great night. Paul it, Birch played yeah. oh, from Nashville with his band. And then and so, uh, and we have Bonnie a book Prince Billy that, was playing. Yeah, Will Oldham played and Ted Leo sang. Uh, loads of different people came and sang. And it was just a really fantastic evening. And we raised a lot of money. At the end of the night, the guy who wouldn't give us a drink when we walked in was suddenly giving me pictures of margaritas. <laughs> And as we were leaving, he came up to me and said, "You know, man, that was that was you're like the the second best band that ever played here." <laughs> and I thought that's perfect. I was, and I was, I think I was meant to ask who's the who's the best band, but I didn't. I, I just left. And it. they had an eight-channel PA, and one of the channels was broken, and it sounds fantastic in that room. Yeah. It's like fantastic. And sound. there was an old bass amp. Yeah. in the corner that no one had plugged in for years and it was all covered in cobwebs and then there was a ceiling tile dangling yeah. down and but Kelly Hogan saw the ceiling tile dangling down the old bit she started she sat on the floor and started crying she said, this is so yeah, she, beautiful she, she, she had a very emotional too, moment Kelly. did you guys ever go there Bill Kate I mean I've it was a total I, dive I've forgotten the name of the guy who runs it and he was a you know just it's it was fantastic. a great Chicago we're losing all these yeah. places, and it's, and not it's just a tragedy. A, and it's not just a sign in the window. It wasn't like a paper sign. It was painted on the window. Yeah. Bands yeah. wanted. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, they wanted bands and to come. And it was really egalitarian. I mean, I loved the idea that I just called up and said, I want a show. Okay. Yes. No, like, send me your CD or anything like that. Yeah, all right, you can have a show, as long as you bring 100 people, which I know is clearly not what was going on <laughs> yeah. every single night at the mutiny. But yeah. it was just, you know, they were just great. I never got around to it. I always wanted to do a story. They had karaoke at 10 in the morning on Saturdays. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was oh, karaoke. Yeah, yeah. And they told me one time, I was in there a few times, and they said, like, people, you know, maybe come in after, you know, for karaoke. They've been out all night. Yeah. And they would, they would come yeah, in. I, I, I feel bad. And the first time we walked in there was, was to play the show. And then I think I went back once or twice. But, uh, you know, it just seems to me a great shame that we're losing. Yeah, you guys have been around a lot. You've been around Chicago. You guys came here about 85, 86, something? Well, I moved here in 97. Okay. I started coming here First to time I came was 85. Yeah. yeah. The three Johns played yeah. the Metro. Yeah. yeah. So you've seen the changes. Yeah, I mean, really, we never ventured. We used to go... We used to go to El Sol, like on Ashland and Fulham, yeah. and think that was like, wow, it's the West Side. Yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> that was kind of like, oh, really, we're really exploring the urban environment mm. here, you know. Yeah. And yeah. there's a lot of new great venues, to be honest. There are, you know, if you go down Milwaukee, there's tons and tons of, if, if you want to play rock music or, or you know, if it's. My kids are out at things all the time. I've got a 17 year old and a 21 year old. I mean, for so the last five or six years, I've heard about all these great kind of illegal clubs and warehouse parties and stuff like that. <laughs> do, they, do you think they move around the city more than they did in the 80s? In other words, there's more stuff going on in Pilsen maybe than there was in 85. You know? My well, kids do. I they go all over the place. I think that just tells you where's gentrifying, really. Yeah, really. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, there's, I mean, not clearly, people are living all over the city doing whatever they do. You know, we do our thing, other people do their things. It's, well, it's like, like old areas like, I mean, Lincoln... Lincoln Park was the groovy place when we first came here, you know, yeah. up and down Halstead Street and up, you know, around by 
diversity that was kind of ground zero and it was really cool and then now i mean you know wicker park which was and logan square are completely kind of muted you yeah. know as <laughs> places to go if you go. like sports bars if you like you know chicago's thing. great if you like loads of sports <laughs> bars and loads of people in pastel t-shirts and baseball caps you know? <laughs> <laughs> all right we can take a break uh for the news he's not wearing a pastel t-shirt <laughs> and uh, we'll be back t-shirt. <laughs> after this on wgn <laughs> Everybody's so in love But they don't touch your meat Eyes are weeping, eyes all red A bunch of flowers in the street I love a millionaire I love a millionaire I love a millionaire I love a millionaire The champagne was never cheap But I could pay someone to drink it for me And never rise up from these sheets Watching time just roll away mm. I love a millionaire I love a millionaire I love a millionaire I love a millionaire Stretching out my bones A million miles guitar solo <laughs> <laughs> that's the greatest hit i would say a snippet a snip <laughs> we don't have any hits i know that's that's what album is that off of that's off an album From, called i love the mekons yeah right oh, i heart mekons yeah please. yeah yeah i love the mekons. i know that song yeah <laughs> that was our first record for touch and go where we were had a happy safe haven for 15 years in yeah. chicago when we first first moved to chicago and our agent said you should go and talk to touch and go because we were we've been signed to uh, a&m records then we were on wheel latina and we were on some other independent label in la and it was just a big mess and we went up to see cory and uh, he actually came and met me at margie's candies in bucktown and we had a, a, a handshake and a smile and 15 years of very productive and safe Places for the meek. I've got a guy calling me and bugging me. He's insisting the Beatles never were at Margie's Candies. I thought there were pictures of it. Yeah, I know. Well, there's pictures. I don't know if they're at. I've got to go look at that again. It's been about a year and a half or two years since I've been there. But can you believe that? 
how can you like screw up an urban legend like that? I, know. I mean, who cares? Yeah, <laughs> they were they there. Were there. Yeah. <laughs> they were there if we believe it. Yeah, he's. Can we create our own? I, wonder, I might bring him on the show. Uh, what was Margie's name? Margie Poulos. Yeah, I interviewed her. Yeah, yeah she, she wouldn't have made. They were there. She, she wouldn't have made that. She up. couldn't. She was a nice Greek lady. Yeah, right. She wouldn't have made that up. Yeah, and she died right in front of that place. Remember that? She no. really? Yeah, she, there was like an accident. There was like a bus accident or a car accident. She had a heart attack right in front of the right in front oh. of the store. Yeah. Oh. Um, where did you learn? I talked to you before, but talk about your roots in music. Where did you learn to sing? Was there music around the house, Sally? Uh, well, I don't come from a musical family, although my parents liked music. Uh, I don't know. It's like weird. No one else in my family was a musician, and I didn't think I would be one. I used to sing in the church choir you when did. I was a kid. And uh, I did a lot of poetry recitals, and I think those always kind of factored into being able to deliver stuff. So I was very used to being on a stage when I was a kid, too. But I had no desires to be um, a musician or even think it was a possibility. And then I met Pete Shelley from the Buzzcocks uh, when I was 18, and we were friends. And... I told him about this crazy language that me and my friend Kay had made up and was singing it to him. He said, let's go and record that. And the next day we went in and recorded this whole album of improvised like music of me just singing made up words and a lot of people playing pots and pans. And, we, and he put it out and I was like, really? That's how it works? So that was kind of like... You know, the whole idea of punk rock was... Hangaha. Hangaha, and it's still actually one of the... Do a bit. <laughs> it's kind of like that, but it lots of It was weird, we went, but we went to... It came out and then kind of disappeared, and then we went to Dusseldorf or somewhere like really... I used to get letters from Belgian jazz musicians who were begging us to go over... No, they said, you are Sally Schmidt? You make Hangaha? Yeah. People were like, really... Teutonic people really liked it. Rooms and listen to that for 14 hours. So, you know, uh, it had a life, and I, I still love that record. And so, uh, I don't know, after that, then I met uh, all the people from the Mekons and the Gang of Four in Leeds, and everyone was in a band, every single person. So it was just like, let's, you know, be in a band. It doesn't matter if it's good, bad, or indifferent. And I suppose in the end, those of us who had the persistence to keep going are still going. And you've done solo projects. I have, yeah. Do you have anything coming up? No, I'm too lazy. You're too lazy? Yeah. Um, I have a day job. That's <laughs> enough for me. <laughs> but what's it like for you guys, and we'll get into the Waco Brothers, when you when you get away from this? I mean, when you come back to the Mekons, is, you know, what's it like to create new music with other bands and come back and doing the Mekons and stuff? I, I love collaborating, but yeah. the, the Mekons is a different, very different sort of kettle of fish, if you know what I mean. It only really occurs when we're together, and it's dependent on, I think, that at least being a quorum of the, the right people there in the right place. And it's everyone's scattered, geographically challenged bands. So, uh, yeah. you know, when we get together, then it, it, that's when it really exists. And it's almost like it doesn't, you know, the endless email chains, you know, I could take that or leave that. You know, it's kind of boring. But when we're all together, there's obviously a desire by everyone to, you know, it's a family. It's, yeah. You know? it's a I mean, dysfunctional it, it family. It, it, that's what it is. So when we get mm. together, it's like very quickly it, it goes into, you know, that whole family setup. And I imagine maybe the energy level's a little higher when you haven't seen it. Things, the sparks. Not really. Not really? 
energy <laughs> levels. Yeah. What's that? We're getting yeah. old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I try and get my energy levels up. I do a lot of the uh, prep work, so you my do. energy levels by the time I see them are very low because I hate them all. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say your energy levels are quite high. <laughs> we just did a tour in Europe though in April, and it was kind of a, it was a tough one. We had a new label over them. We, I think we all felt we should prove ourselves that we're serious about it. So we went and did, you know, like two weeks playing every night with 10-hour drives in a van. We had some a, crazy drives, like 12-and-a-half-hour drives yeah. to go and play a show, which is... Copenhagen to Frankfurt. Not yeah. what we used to do when we were young a lot of the time. No, but this was brutal. We'd always have days off, and this we had no days off. And mm-hmm. it was, But we all actually came back feeling... I felt really great. We didn't die. No. Vans? You touring vans? I, I read somewhere you never had a, you've never had a tour of us? No. Yeah. Stand. Afford one, yeah. we don't, you know. I mean, we make enough money to keep the band going and get paid when we're playing. But you know, we play four weeks of the year every two years, so yeah. it's I not a living. I, I don't mean. like tour buses. I wouldn't want no. to go. On. I, I find them weird when you go on other people's no. tour buses. It's like very controlled. Music. Someone was telling me I shouldn't say which band it was. So I'm not going to. But they had a tour bus, but because they were playing in small venues, they weren't really a band that. Uh, were playing in large venues in Europe there was nowhere for the tour bus to park so they would arrive in a city and have to park in a like basically the equivalent of Home Depot in the suburbs parking lot and be stuck out there until they played the gig I thought what is the point of that you know we get to at least get into a hotel and then we get to roam around the city and that's the whole thing for us is the experience of just the cultural thing and the food (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> so the Waco Brothers um, Now I don't know if it was the first time you guys played to get. Uh, okay we're going to take a break I want to get into um, We'll talk about the Waco Brothers and then Let's talk the, about the Waco the Brothers The Giga Fitzgeralds but I wanna, I gotta, all right, all yeah, right. so Don't go away on Nocturnal Journal on WG Welcome back to Nocturnal Journal I'm Dave Hoekstra We're in the studio with a bunch of people John Langford and Sally Timms Talking about uh, the new Mekons record Deserted on Bloodshot Records Thank you. Twenty fifth anniversary of Bloodshot. Thanks for coming in. But we're also talking. I want to talk about go back to Fitzgerald's, which we talked about a little while ago. The Waco Brothers are playing the first night. Yeah, the third. Yeah. We play Wednesday night. Yeah, the, they, you guys. Where are we playing, Bill? You close the club. You go on. Uh, we close the club. Yeah, you go on at eleven forty-five, right after JD McPherson. Oh my God, eleven forty-five. What are you thinking? And Robbie Folk thinking? will be there. We're all staying up. We're all staying up to the end. Uh, oh, I'm going to be on the side of the stage. Watching Alan destroy my monitor again. Well, I'm going to a party at 7.30 on July the 4th in the morning. So, oh well. 7.30 in the morning? Yeah, my our vet has a party. Really? Yeah. In the morning? Dr. Mike. 7.30 yeah. in the morning? We, I go and, he's the last medical person I spoke to. <laughs> <laughs> my vet. I'm going to have a chat with him. About your own health. <laughs> so, um... Again, for listeners who might be listening for the first time, talk about the Waco Brothers. And this goes into what we were talking about, the mutiny. I don't know if it was your first gig, but the first time I saw you guys was uh, Wrigleyville Tap. That had that, to be early in your fir- career. No, that's the first proper gig, because we weren't. We, that's the first gig that was called the Waco Brothers. Yeah. We'd done like three or four gigs before that with just me and Tracy and Dean Schlebowski. And uh, I think the first one was called John Boy and Dino's <laughs> Church of Country and Western Music. Then we did one as, and then yeah, it was terrible. So we thought we'd better change the name so people might come to the next one. So the next one was called Ranch Quake. Then <laughs> it was called Hillbilly Love Child. And then, then somebody, Dean did a poster saying Waco Brothers. And I thought, that's a bit off, isn't it? Yeah. 
Waco Brothers, and then Tom Ray and Steve Goulding, who's now in the Mekons, yeah. came and played with us. And it was like at, at, at Jimmy and Ty's, and it was actually like proper music, and people thought we were a real band. And then we started getting off. Of I believe Floyd, who just passed away, Floyd Saunders, and he might have introduced Floyd you. used to introduce us. Yeah, we right. played there a few times, and he used to introduce us. Yeah, he was a character. <laughs> Ranch Quake. That's pretty good, though. That's a good second one. <laughs> Bill and Kate, what's it like when they come in the club? I mean, you've, you've played a lot at Fitzgerald's. So, so t- tell the listeners Several what to times. Ex- Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, it's just, it's just so much. I, just, I love watching you guys from the side of the stage, your front line, when you guys are doing your all the jumping uh, ballet. around. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then you get to see the audience as well. It's just a great scene to be that close and uh, it's a lot of fun. I remember playing one year when uh, uh Bill was we Bill didn't see our set cuz he was cooking a turkey directly behind the stage <laughs> and the smell was coming into the club and across the stage cuz afterwards we were going to what do we have? We had you had oh, white castles. Right. You had white castle sliders. Uh-huh. And then he put and he put turkey and cranberry, little cranberry sauce, and we call him the Gobbler. Yeah. Birth of the Gobbler. It was an enhanced, yeah, uh, <laughs> slider. Yeah. It enhanced everything. <laughs> but we were really distracted when we were playing because we knew we were going to get this food afterwards, and it was the night before Thanksgiving. But one in the morning, we just sat around going, oh, nom, nom, gobble, gobble, gobble. He had all the flavors of oh, Thanksgiving. He hit yeah. all, the, the, all the food groups were there. Are you listening out there? <laughs> it's, it's like, yeah. Um, Talk about for for both John and Sally. I mean, your your respect of American country music. I mean, that's kind of what you know some of the Waco Brothers stuff started with. I mean, at the beginning, people were saying Cash meets Clash and stuff. But talk well, no, about it was, your, the, it was the Sundowners. Yeah, we came well, to right. Chicago and with somebody we played like the Cubby Bear, and somebody said you got to come downtown and see a proper country band and a country and western band, which they were. You know, yeah. Sundowners played for what thirty five years yeah, right. in town. First down at the R&R Ranch, down by the Greyhound bus station, then at their own place out on Mannheim Road, the Sundowners Ranch. Yeah. You know, they played me and my Helen, who's here. We play, They played our, the day before our wedding in her parents' back garden. Never knew if they were going to come, but they turned up. But at the first night the Mekons went to see them, we'd all been to Alcala's and we'd all right. had like ridiculous only only you know only a British rock band would dress like that <laughs> cowboy shirts Stetsons bolo ties everything so they were like ooh looks like we got a band here you guys want to get up and play we're like no 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 come on up and we were like oh really and we got up and we played and it was you know to actually play in front of a genuine redneck audience of drunks at four in the morning yeah. <laughs> we were terrible yeah we, we should have done i know but they didn't people liked it though but we were just terrible and i thought if i go back there ever i'm gonna have a few songs so i learned a few johnny cash songs i thought i want something that i could actually stand with. if they ever call me up again and then of course every time we ever went there we always got called out because they wanted a break so they could have a cocktail yeah right those guys knew a lot of songs. And it's in line with what we're talking about. They really didn't have any musical prejudice. I mean, they, they would do, like, you know, Fats Domino Something covers. Something in the way she moves. <laughs> reacts me like no other lover. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they did everything. They did everything. They were brilliant. So, and, and, you know, they were just lovely guys. We got to know them quite well. And I think there's a bit in the Mekons documentary that Joni Delaney, before she passed away, got interviewed. And the guy was at the director was asking her, well, you know, so tell us about how you met the meek. I said, well, my husband came home one night from the club, and he said, you never guess what blew in tonight? Some punk rockers from England. 
And John says, well, did you make them get up and play? Yeah, of course we did. Were they any good? No. <laughs> but they're willing to learn. <laughs> <laughs> Which is great. Yeah. <laughs> Sally, did you, were, you, were you there? Did you see all that stuff? I was there for some of it, I think. I can't really remember. I do remember singing Long Black Veil, I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah with Black. them. Yeah, yeah. yeah sure. they were sweet guys. So, uh, the gigs. Talk about the gigs again. We've got um, the well, hideout. Hideout at, sold out. It sold out, 9 yeah. p.m. on July 12th. Okay. And then we've got the Square Roots Festival. Talk about that, the 13th and 14th, back-to-back? -back. No, we're, well, no, we play uh, Square Roots on the 13th. Okay. So the Saturday is, and then we're back in the hideout on the 14th. Oh, you're back in the hideout Which the is also sold out, so... And but then, uh, the, yeah. that's a donation thing, I think, for the, yeah, square, the square Roots, Roots Fest. And square Roots says anyone can get in. And Murder by Death and Vandaliers are playing as well, or a Bloodshot band, so it's a Bloodshot celebration. And then I think uh, the Gold Stars, who are like Andre Williams, old backing oh, band, yeah, and yeah. Goodman and his guys are going to do, they're putting a, a kind of Bloodshot Greatest Hits show early in the afternoon, so I'm going to get up. Some of the Wacos are going to get up and sing. Uh, I'm going to sing a song. And the Wacos will be at Fitzgerald's? On the third. On the third. Talk uh, before we sign off of the song for the new record. Talk about the T-shirt. We were talking about that uh, before you came. Well, in. Kate phoned me up and said, "I want a T-shirt." And then, <laughs> and then, will you design something? And this is what it has to be exactly like this. And then I was just, I just did what she said, and it's turned out beautifully. So I'm very good at taking direction. <laughs> you are very good at taking direction. Shockingly, yeah. Came out right there, didn't it? Oh, well, we fantastic. haven't seen one yet. We've got an image of what it might look no, like. No, I I loved it instantly. I I had no notes. <laughs> did you? I heard maybe you guys told me. Did you prank her a little bit? Did you send her some fake uh, ideas at first? <laughs> well, I was sketching. And I sort of. <laughs> she was talking to me down the phone. And I was sketching. Some of them came out pretty weird. So I said, "This will this do?" You know. I think I still have those. <laughs> like what was one? What's one? Was there one we could talk about that was really? They were just line drawings. <laughs> Well, strangely deformed strangely mutant, deformed. mutant lady. She wanted a woman on the on it. I was like, yeah. All right, we'll have a woman on it. We'll definitely have a woman on it. On, <laughs> yeah, but these these were like no women you've ever seen. So, <laughs> and it gave you pause. <laughs> just, just for a moment. I uh, just for a moment, but it was a pause. Yeah. <laughs> you like playing? You played the American Music Festival before. Yeah, many times. Yeah, what's it like? Again, talking about family. Again, I mean, that's must... like a reunion. Yeah, as right. Because well, we yeah. always see so many people we, you know, we know and bump in. It's just, it's great. You like the food? Tom Sims food? I like the food. Yeah. 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 Mekons, deserted. The camper, the, the, the trailer album, around the cover. Our best album ever. <laughs> first one, first studio record in like eight years. Is that right? No. No, not really. I read that somewhere. No Yeah. Yeah. Fake news. Yeah. <laughs> when was the one before this? Well, we did that one. Well, there was existentialism, a, which was recorded in a in a room in one in theory in one night with a an audience. But people say it's a live record, but it wasn't. It was. It was all new songs. It was new songs with the audience actually participated. So oh, people yeah. paid to come, and then they would sing and 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 participate on the recording. So we didn't stop, and there was no applause at the end of each song. We didn't even actually engage with them. We had uh, Dave Nagler was the, the conductor, the, the, the feral choir wrangler. Yeah. So them. you know, the idea was that. 
people would be on the record and uh, it was a record that was in profit before it was recorded because people Yeah, it's the first one we've ever made a profit 75 on. people pay $75 to be on the record in the room and all named on the record and it was like, oh, that that's a great idea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then we were, John had the idea that, well, what, you know, because we were looking at how Third Man do everything and they do everything so beautifully but yeah. of course they have a much larger audience than we do and more money but he said, well, what can we do? And he said, well, maybe we just make this beautiful little golden egg there's just one of them and you crack it open and then there's the download code but we don't have fans who have that kind of money so no, we it's made 50 a book, grand actually so we actually <laughs> so the made one a book golden and egg book and put the record inside it <laughs> well thanks this is a real treat it's nice seeing you guys <laughs> thank again. you dave thanks. Nice to see you. thanks a lot thanks bill and kate and donnie you want to set up this last song it's going to be mirage it's going to be off uh, deserted Sally should talk about this one. No, I, I, I can't. I don't know what it is. Mirage. Mirage. This song's it <laughs> just kind of came out of nowhere when we were, where we while we were there. This is one of the ones that was really influenced, I think, by the kind of environment we were in. And Tom had a little guitar part that was very simple, and then it just turned into a bit of a improvisation. And he started singing, and uh, it's sort of echoes of all all period all periods of the Mekons seem to have come together in this, and also something kind of scary and ancient as well. Okay, thank you Ro, and thank you uh, Bob Fukuduga for the engineering, and here's Mirage on WGN. Celebrate the start of summer with a Super 70s TV flashback. Far out. Visits and interviews from Cheryl Ladd to Cindy Williams, Suzanne Summers, and Gavin McLeod. Plus, our friend Dave Schwann takes us on a trip on the mother road. It's a trip for the bucket list. It's Route 66. Dave Flyer, overnight tonight on 720 WGN. Win the ultimate White Sox family reunion. Just listen to the Ro Khan show with Anna Davalente's weekday afternoons at 5.40 on 720 WGN Chicago. Smart speaker users just say play WGN radio on TuneIn. The news is sponsored by Lindemann Chimney and Fireplace, and here's David Jennings. We've got a few clouds and 76 